God, this is a topic that is just on my mind all the time. And I've got these four little babies that are going out in the world, and I know every woman here is thinking about how do I navigate this world that just like we're talking just now that seems so innocent, but um, it just seems like it's full of traps. And Lord, how do I shepherd these little hearts to love you and serve you and yet not remove themselves from the world? So I just thank you for these faithful women who are, um, who are being intentional about their time, being intentional about their thoughts. And I pray that your words, um, the words that you've given us for life, that you can speak to us and we hear your words to know how to love these children well. In your name I pray, amen. Um, I'm going to start my stopwatch and they might just wave at me if I'm running too late. But I wanted to start off by telling you about... Um, how I learned that I wasn't Mexican. Um, that, I know, sounds like a strange story, but that's really what happened to me. But there was a point in my life where, sadly, I learned that I'm white. Um, I grew up in San Antonio uh, on the west side. West side. Uh, I had no idea what that meant, but I did it all the time. Uh, I grew up there on kind of a little bit rougher part of San Antonio. And I was surrounded, that, that was the culture I grew up in, right? So everyone around me was Hispanic, and I, it never occurred to me that I wasn't. And so, you know, uh, this is the voice I have now, right? But the voice I had then was like this. <laughs> That's the voice. I don't know why you're laughing at me, okay? Because this voice is amazing. It's amazing. Is this comical? Yes, you can laugh. My kids laugh at it all the time. Okay. This was what the voice I had in, as a kid. This is what I sounded like, okay? All the time, I would say that. And I learned a lot of things. Like, I learned that, um, you know, if you were walking in your babysitter, she was going to say, stop it, I'm watching my stories, okay? Don't, don't interrupt my stories. That's the babysitter I had. So I learned, okay, don't interrupt her stories. I learned that it doesn't matter what you have, if you have a broken leg, you just need more Vicks. <laughs> doesn't matter if you have a cold get some hot sauce okay if you have like chicken pox sorry we're gonna have to go get some more lemons or something because we don't know how to treat you like that's what I learned and everything was Vicks Sprite or hot sauce okay uh, I learned that if you're bad you better look out for the chocolate because it's gonna come for your head and I know what that is some of you are some of you are nodding because you know exactly what I'm talking about right this at your head okay so pay attention or you're going to get it. Uh, I learned that you don't eat tamales unless they come out of a trunk. They don't taste good. Don't, don't, don't go to from the store. You want to get them out of the trunk of a car. And then when I was a little older, like middle school, I started learning that you could really save a lot of money if you use your eyeliner as your lip liner too. So it's like a little cholo in training. Like just, you know, there and then... Here. It's it's really like you could use a sharpie if you wanted to. So in me in junior high, I did not bring a picture because I think I've tried to destroy most of them. But I had the you know the eyebrows really thin eyebrows, bright red lipstick, black outline. That's cute. That's cute. Uh, and then finally, like the thing that solidified it for me was just my love for Selena. Like mm. R.I.P. Selena. Like even now when I hear her on the radio, there's like a moment where I just go. What could have been Selena? <laughs> and my husband just laughs at me. So that is the voice I had in, high, in junior high. And I would love to tell you that that ended like sixth grade when I would learn. 
but it was high school before we moved. My mom moved to another part of the city, and so this was the um, white high school. And it was like this moment of just going, I'm super white. Hmm. That's disappointing. <laughs> um, I apparently love pumpkin spice and <laughs> now, like, I'm, that's what I am now. And then this new high school, this was the deal. So my voice changed, my, uh, my mannerisms changed, and so I went to college, and, and now my husband, who met me in college, looks back and he's like, I, I can't believe that was you. Um, but that was, and you might think, well, that's crazy. Like, how did you not know that that was, how did you not know that you were not Hispanic? But the fact is, that was my culture. That was the culture I grew up in. Uh, nobody stopped to think, to say, hey, just so you know, you're super white. <laughs> uh, that might have been helpful to me, but no one did. <laughs> so I think about that now of things like this, like, I didn't know, because that's just where I was. And that's kind of how we treat culture now. Unless we really stop and think about what's going on around us, it's just what feels normal, right? So this book that I've been reading, I'm going to recommend to you guys. This is a great book. Uh, this Practical Guide to Culture, right? Uh, John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel. One of the things he talks about here is, you know, fish in the ocean. They don't know they're wet. Fish are just where they are. And that's kind of where we are too, right? We don't walk around going, okay, this is where I am in society, and this is how things affect me. We just live the way we live. And if we continue to do that, then the culture around us will be shaping us instead of us shaping it. So I want to talk about um, what do we define culture as. A lot of times I hear, you know, we're fighting the culture. Our kids are being taken by the culture. But really, culture is not supposed to be just the negative. It's supposed to be the negative, the positive, and the neutral. So we think about, okay, well, what is negative in our culture right now? And one of the things we talk about a lot is, right, television, media. Um, I did some research on this and, and realized that the first gay character on television that was not the butt of a joke was in 1994. Uh, some of you probably watched it too. I know I did. The Real World, the season of The Real World, right? So I think it's really interesting too, we should probably take note of this, that the first time a gay person was portrayed as a real person and not a character was a reality show uh, and not as a character on television to be the joke. I think that says something about us, uh, that when sympathy and empathy were garnered for this person, it was because they were a real person. Not something I always want to move forward with with my kids, uh, is not seeing people as characters. But we have this in 1984, right? Well, here we are in 2017, and we have a new show called Billions. Haven't seen it yet, uh, but it features the first gender-neutral character. This is a person who is neither female nor male. This is not because of a biological concern. This is a person who's chosen not to be female or male. This is where we are in 2017. Uh, in, the, in the 2000s, the first show that was geared towards kids was Glee. This was definitely marketed for kids, and this had the first child portrayed as a transgender child. Uh, this also had several different aspects that had never been in television before, but specifically geared towards kids. Um, but so that's the bad, right? Well, we look at the good, too. So I'm looking at 1989, the first character that had Down syndrome was on television. Anybody remember that show? <coughs> yes. Corky? That's right. And then 2017, uh, we have 
the first character with autism on Sesame Street, which for my personal family I loved. Love being able to watch that with them. Um, so we do need to think about the negative, but also the positive. The reason that's important is because if you only focus on what's going wrong, at some point your spirit will just deflate. Mm -hmm. And your children will start to look at you and go, yeah, but what, what's good? What is good about our world? Um, I think we can probably all remember growing up where you heard, don't do this, don't do that, that's bad, stay away from that. But how many times did we hear from our families, this is an amazing thing about our world and we want to contribute to it. So let's be different in that. Uh, so when you look at this, you go, at least if you're anything like me, you think, how in the world? Like, how am I going to keep up with all this? I just got through Glee. I just watched the episodes of Glee, and now there's this other show. Um, I just figured out Instagram, and now there's Snapchat. I just figured out Snapchat, and now there's this thing. Um, how, like, how am I ever going to keep up with all of the things that my kids are exposed to? And I, I want to gently, like as gently as I can, break the news that you can't. Um, because we're old. <laughs> we're just old. And we have things to do. And we need sleep. So we're not ever going to be able to keep up with every single thing that our kids are exposed to. As soon as you learn one social media platform, there will be another one. So that's the bad news, right? Okay? So we got the bad news out of the way. The good news is... There is hope. One, because Jesus is in control of that. And two, because we are trying to parent our children differently to where we are not keeping up with every new thing. But we're trying to give them a bigger picture. And that's really what I want to talk about right now is the bigger picture. Um, it is really easy to get caught up in the little picture of just recently we, we got our son a cell phone, right? It's a, it's a smartphone without internet, so he calls it half smart. Um, he's like, it's a C student uh, phone. And it, it really, you know, we, we took off internet, we took off YouTube, all those things. But even in that, we were looking at text messages and realizing, oh, there are aspects of text messages that he could delete that we wouldn't see. So again, like we tried, we thought we were being smart, and yet there's something there that gets by. Um, so we really thought, okay, we've got to look at this bigger picture, right? So let's look here. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, can y'all turn to John 4? Sometimes it is easy to believe, you know, Jesus, I'm not sure if Jesus knows what he's doing here because they didn't have Snapchat that, back then. Uh, there are times I feel like that, like, Lord, did you know what you can do with the phone? Um, but then I look at all the ways that Jesus did interact uh, with his culture. So John 4. Let's see where it okay, Jesus learned, this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize him, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well, or Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well on, around noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, uh, You're a Jew, 
and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a really deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. So let's just stop there for a second. You know, if you study the cultural context of this, this was an unexpected interaction, right? This was a woman who completely expected this man to turn away from her in disgust. Um, to put it in, sometimes I'll do this with my kids, to put it in their language, it's a I literally can't moment. It's I literally can't with you. And we <laughs> practice our Cali from the Valley voice. Uh, this is a woman who thought, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm ashamed of who I am already, and then this guy is not going to, he might even be, maybe he's even dangerous. Uh, and Jesus interacts with her. It was unexpected. <clears throat> if others had been around, they would have said, what are you doing? Like, do you know who she is? Do you know where she belongs? But Jesus made an unexpected interaction. Later, we find out that he tells her, yes, uh, I know that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The man you're with is also not your husband. My daughter said that is, girl, we know what you've been up to. <laughs> I don't know where she gets it. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus has this unexpected interaction with her. That's not what society told him to do. Society told him that is someone who's undesirable. That's someone you should stay away from. That's a dangerous person. Um, but Jesus decides to have a different interaction with her. Let's move on to Luke 10. Y'all keep a, keep a finger in John 4. We'll come back to it in a minute. Luke 10, Jesus mar visits Mary and Martha. One of my favorite stories. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into their home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are so upset over all these details. There's really only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. I won't take it away from her. This was an unexpected priority, right? In that day, in that culture, it, it was odd for a woman to not be up and doing everything. I would venture to say that's probably not as odd in our culture as well. Uh, but Jesus is really clear. This is an unexpected priority. She has chosen what's good. All this other stuff, it's great, but it's not what's really important. And I think when we're thinking about how does Jesus teach us to interact with culture, he's teaching us two things. One, have unexpected interactions and unexpected priorities. Can you think of ways in our life today that we would have a different priority than the rest of the world? One thing I can think of is sports, right? All of our kids are in sports, um, and, and it's fun. I, I know nothing about it, <laughs> literally nothing. I usually call my son's soccer uniform a costume because I grew up in theater, so that's my language. I say, go get your character shoes. Those are his cleats. I talk to him about his auditions. Those are, you know, tryouts for teams. So I don't know anything about it, but I enjoy watching him do it. 
Um, but I have watched the frenzy of what team is he on? How many teams does he play for? Is he in select soccer? Has he, has he talked about colleges yet? I'm like, he's 14. And this was happening when he was five. Um, what coach do you have? Do you have a private coach for him already? And it was this overwhelming, like, oh, what, what are we doing wrong that we haven't done this for our child yet? And it goes on and on. If it's not soccer, it's something else. Um, so do we have a different priority in our life? Sports is great. Being involved in, in sports and other activities, is, it's great. Uh, what Martha was doing, making dinner for Jesus, there was nothing wrong with what she was doing. But Jesus was clear, this is the priority that Mary has chosen, and it is better. She has chosen to sit at the feet of her Savior. And then let's go to Matthew 19.4. This one is my very favorite story. 19.4, okay. Uh, or 1914, excuse me. Uh, we'll start at 13. Some, jil- some children were brought to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples told him not to bother him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he put his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. And for me, this is, um, Jesus showed an unexpected value. Right, so kids now, there, there is a lot of um, idolization of kids today. But then, these, these kids were a bother. They were not worth really anything until they were old enough to work. So for kids to come and sit uh, at Jesus' feet uh, would be a little bit like uh, the governor of Texas coming and just a bunch of kids come and like rub their dirty hands on them. And we would be like, oh my word, don't do that. That's an important person. And Jesus is like, listen, these are the kingdom. These little ones. An unexpected value. Do we place unexpected values on things that the world could look at and say, why is that important to you? Um, Do we value our children in a different way than the world would value children? In that not placing them above everything else, but putting them in a valuable place of God's kingdom. So we look at this and we go, okay, so here's three examples of how Jesus engaged with his culture. And I think we have these three different examples, and we also have three different choices. With our culture, we can embrace it. This would mean more like giving up. Like, it's, it's too hard. Um, I'm going to pray for my kids and hope that everything turns out okay. That's kind of embracing that culture. Uh, we can also eschew the culture. Wes helped me with that fancy E word. How do you even spell it? E-S-C-H-E-U, I think. Um, meaning just get away. Like, I, the, these are the... Um, I'm going to boycott everything. I'm going to, you, you can never even think about watching television. We're just, we're just completely removed from the world. There, there's a third option. The third option is engaging. And I think when you look back at these three stories, Jesus with a woman at the well, he's engaging her. He's not joining her in her sin. He's not um, condemning her with her sin. He's engaging with her. When you look at uh, Mary and Martha, he doesn't tell Martha, hello, idiot, like, I'm important here, and Mary's got it, way to go. And he also doesn't say, just ignore it, it's a big, not a big deal. He engages with Martha. And then there were these little babies. I mean, these babies were listening. Can you imagine when they went home and their parents were like, um, get out of the way, and they're like, uh, excuse me. I just got to sit on Jesus' lap so you can listen to me for five minutes. Can you imagine, like, they learned that in that moment. I'm important. I'm valued. 
Jesus said that the kingdom is made up of like people like me. How amazing it must have been for those kids to learn that. So I look at that and go, okay, these are our three choices, right? We can embrace, we can engage, or we can eschew. Did you want them to all start with E? That's beautiful. I used to make fun of pastors for doing that, and then I did it. <laughs> so we look at this and go, okay, so let's look at the practical part of this. How do we do this? Right? So it's great to have this in theory, but I'm looking at you guys going, hey, we're all in the trenches. So theory is great. Let's talk about practicalness. For me, we have to look at the larger story. Like I said, every issue is going to change. As soon as you figure out how to deal with one issue, there's going to be another one come up. So while you could go through every single thing and go, this is what I think about this, and this is what I think about this, you're going to come up with something that you haven't thought of. So I want to think about the bigger picture. The bigger picture of what are we here for? What's our salvation for? When you really sit and think about that, what is our salvation for? It's not to just wait. It's not to sit and go, heaven's coming any minute now. I'm just going to wait. Now? Yet? I mean, there are definitely days I have those, right? But that's not what our salvation's for. Our salvation is for worshiping the Lord and engaging with people, loving the Lord, loving others. We can't do that if we're just waiting. So look at the bigger picture. We have creation, we have the fall, we have redemption, and we have restoration, right? So start back at Adam and Eve. We have Adam and Eve in the great garden. Everything's perfect. Adam and Eve mess up. Adam and Eve are taken out of the garden, into the fields. Childbirth is painful. We get it, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have restoration. Jesus comes. And we're still working on the restoration piece. So when you're thinking about that with your kids, if you bring this back into the bigger story, it's not about whether or not is Instagram wrong or sinful. It's about how does it fit into this bigger picture. So I'm going to give you a really practical example of that. Uh, this year with my son, he got this phone, and he wanted to get Instagram. And his, all his, according to him, everyone in his school had Instagram except for him. His parents are super lame. Um, I pointed out that nobody else could sound like this, but that didn't make me cooler. <laughs> so he wanted to have Instagram. So I sat down with him, and I went through a bunch of his accounts of his friends, of his friends and friends his age. Just kind of figured out a way to do junior high kids. And I sat down with him, and I knew he's going to see some words here that are not cool. Um, we're going to be channeling some Eminem in this moment, probably. Uh, so I sat down with him, and I said, look, for 10 minutes, I want you to sit down and read through Instagram pages. And I want you to make a mark. Just do a little chart. I told you <laughs> I like to teach. Do a chart. And every time you see a comment that is uh, sexist towards women, I want you to make a little check mark. And then every time you see a remark that is racist, I want you to make a check mark. And every time you see a comment that is asking for something, so approval or a compliment, or uh, someone says something mean about themselves and, and they want people to say, no, that's not true, just make a check mark. And then on the other side, I want you to make a check mark every time you see something that's encouraging to another person, or something that is uplifting about themselves or about another person. Just 10 minutes, go. So we sat there, and I was like, I know you're going to read words that I don't want you to repeat, but this is what we're going to do. So he sat there, and I watched his face. He kind of went, you know, he did like the junior high face. 
And then he would look at me and realize I was looking and then try to be super cool about it. So <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's whatever. I'm totally fine with that. Um, and then at the end, I looked at this chart and there was no marks on that side. And, you know, over 100 on this side. And I said, buddy, what do you, what do you see about this? How do you interpret this? And he said, it just, he said, I don't get it. I don't really get what's the point. So we talked about that. Okay, what's the point? So we have creation. The Lord did not intend for us to feel like we need our identity through other people. The Lord did not intend for us to feel like we hate other people because they're different than us. But there's a fall. Sin entered the world. That's the bad news. So now what do we have because of sin? We have this. We have your checklist. Now there's redemption. What can be redemption about this? So we went through the gospel story of this is what can happen when Jesus enters the picture that you don't find your identity in other people's remarks, that you don't feel this way about yourself all the time, that you don't feel the need to just strive and strive and strive for approval. And then the restoration. So what part can you have in this story? And so we talked about, well, if you did get Instagram, how would you use it? What do you think you would use it for? How would you be different from your friends? So, he still doesn't have Instagram, <laughs> and probably won't for a really long time. But the conversation stopped the begging. Mm -hmm. Because I think what he did is he realized, first of all, we're going to have to have long mama conversations <laughs> about every single one of these, and no 14-year-old wants that. Mm -hmm. But I also think he realized, hey, there's a point to this. We don't just do things just to do them. That when you are a believer, when you follow Christ, there's always a motivation behind it. And I think when you're talking, even with your little bitties, so that's my 14-year-old. Some of you have little, little bitties. So with my 7-year-old, it's, hey, baby, what do you think about when you say that everybody at school has Shopkins and you don't? What does that make you feel like? Or for my little baby girl that's from Ethiopia, it's, so talk to me about when you say you wish you had straight hair. You wish that you had white skin. Talk to me about when people say your hair is too big. What does that make you feel like? When it's my son, my other son that's from Ethiopia, when, when we have conversations about, tell me how it feels when you got blamed for that and you know it wasn't you. Like those are the conversations that we have. Those are real world conversations that always have to come back to fall and redemption. Because there's no other answer, guys. There's no other answer that's going to satisfy my little girl of, why do I have a birth mom? There's no other answer that's going to satisfy my 14-year-old of, I desperately want a girlfriend. Why can't I have one? There's no other answer that's going to satisfy the 40-year-old of, really, hot flashes? Why? Like, why is this a thing? And why do I, why do I still compare myself to other women? Why am I not content in this? There are no answers besides the gospel that will fulfill those. Um, we've got a little bit of time left for some question and answer. Uh, I'm going to restart my thing. So there we go. Ten minutes. Okay, so we've got about ten minutes of question and answer. Um, do you have a way you want to do it? You just want to raise hands. Raise hands if you want to ask a question. And again, I'm putting this up here if you have something that you either don't want to talk about in here or if you just don't get to it. Uh, if you do have kids, right at 12, please go get, no, no, we're, we're, we're going to do this again. Yeah, we're going to do this so again. So right in, in 10 minutes, we'll just dismiss. They'll go to the bathroom and then go to their next. I'm so glad they know what they're doing. <laughs> go to their next room. But yeah, so for now, yeah. we'll just take any 
questions that you have about it, you can just raise your hand. Go for it. Okay, can you just go ahead and go through what how you would answer that question? So, say a, your daughter says, I'm sad I was left out on the playground. Can mm -hmm. you just say what you would, how would you sure. use the gospel? Would you, like, give me an age range? Okay, so she's five. Okay, yeah, little bitties. Um, so this is a frequent thing at our school now. Um, we're at a new school, and uh, new schools can be hard when you're the new kid, but she's also the only black child in her class, so that we do have this conversation pretty frequently. Um, so the first thing I do is the empathy part of, that stinks. I've been there, baby. I've been there as a grown-up. Like, I've been to women's retreats where I thought, do I know anybody here? Is anybody here my friend? Ooh, this is awkward. So I start with the empathy, right? I go back to that thing of the real world. Um, gay characters were a caricature until there was a real person behind it. Not saying that's a positive thing of seeing a, uh, they were the first gay commitment ceremony on TV. Not saying it's a positive thing. What was the positive thing was that this was a real person. And that I think it forced people to realize uh, you cannot put people into this caricature box. These are real people with real feelings. So I start there with my kids of, I'm so sorry. Let's talk about how you feel. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Acknowledging that the emotion is real, whether the situation, the truth behind it is real, the emotion is real. And then move into, uh, you know, tell me the details, what happened. When they're telling me the story, I just listen. A lot of times my kids will work things out on their own if I just be quiet and listen and let them tell the story. And then when we're done, um, we talk about how did you handle it? What do you think about how you handled it? Do you think you should have handled it differently or do you think you're, you were good with the way you handled it? Uh, and if they usually will say, I should have done this differently, then we'll talk through why was it difficult to not do that? So for, usually for my kids, it's I should have asked for help or I should have been nicer to the person who was being mean to me. And we don't go to, okay, so let's figure out how you can do that next time. We go to, why was it difficult to not do that thing? Because for me, those are repeated patterns. We all do that. Uh, we all have patterns that we repeat, and we get ourselves in the same trouble over and over again, right? So do my kids. So for my littlest one, it might be, I didn't ask for help because I thought I could do it on my own. You know what, baby? I do that all the time. I do that all the time. And let me tell you, there are billions of people in the Bible that do it all the time. Let's go look at one and we'll choose one of her favorites. One of her favorites is Esther, right? So we'll go back and we'll look at that, or we'll look at Rahab. We'll look at some for my daughter. I love to bring for these strong women in the Bible um, to go, let me show these examples for you. Uh, for my sons, it's a little bit different. <laughs> Theirs are usually more physical. Uh, so we'll do the same question of, why was it difficult to not do that thing? And for them to start recognizing the patterns of behavior, doesn't just recognize the pattern of behavior. It recognizes the pattern of belief, right? So for my little girl, the pattern of behavior is I don't ask for help. The pattern of belief is I don't need help. And that's really important for her to learn because I can make her ask for help, right? I can set up a behavior plan so she asks for help. I can give her rewards for doing that. But if I don't ever get her to understand that she believes that she doesn't need help, because she can take care of herself. Now for my daughter, there's some trauma behind that, right? If I don't get her to understand that you've been taught that you can't depend on adults, but I've gotta teach you the truth that you can. And here's who you can depend on, ultimately. 
then I don't, it doesn't matter if she gets involved in the playground, she gets included or not, she will still believe, I don't need your help. So that's what we kind of go through the, what's the heart behind these things? What are the patterns of behavior? That stuff happens so early. Like, I mean, if you've got a two-year-old, you kind of know, right? You know what's going to set them off. You know what's going to cause a tantrum. Kind of pretty much everything sometimes. But you start to see those patterns. It's really quick. You start to see those little personalities come out, and you go, ooh, that might be your ditch. That might be the thing that you really struggle with. So address it head on. So like in this one, it's looking at the heart behind why she wants, like needs it from other people? Like, you know, for little ones, I like think, this yes. Like. For little ones, I think it's hard to get to that point right now. Because when you're little, of course you want to be on the playground. And that's a good desire, right? Community. And we talk about that, like, of course you want to be involved and be, uh, be loved and be included. That's a good desire. So how can we help you if you're not? What's, what's, what are we gonna do if that doesn't happen? So for us, we have a family motto, right? Our family motto is look for the lonely. Um, this look, is for the what? look for the lonely is our, our family motto. We talk about this on the first day of school. Is look for the lonely person. Whoever it is, that's your, that's your person for the day. So for my littlest, it's I'm so sorry that you were left out. Um, did you look for the lonely? Because I bet you weren't the only lonely right. one. So um, Can you go find tomorrow, if you feel left out, can you go find another person that looks lonely and see what, see what happens? Uh, and, you know, sometimes that works, and sometimes she's like, well, we were both lonely together. You know? <laughs> well, all right, we'll get there. But to turn that around in recognizing her pattern and then giving her an action plan yeah. of how can you start to serve while still having a lot of empathy for the pain, right? What I don't want to do, and I think it's a hard thing for Christian families, is to always go to, well, how can you serve? Because sometimes that can feel really uh, painful when you haven't had the empathy part. Um, so we, we are careful about that. Um, but the look for the lonely part, like you need to understand from a very early age that the way pain can be healed is when God uses community. Mm -hmm and you're not the only one. So look for the other people that are struggling the same way you are. Okay. Uh, okay, I have a... So I have a seven-year-old girl, and she has this, like, for real sense of justice. Everything <laughs> has to be fair. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps coming out, I mean, to the point where she's like, you give me a consequence, but you don't have consequences, like, to me. <laughs> where I'm like, I can't believe you're saying this to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure I would have not been allowed inside my house if I told them. You know, but trying to handle that, like, she has such a sense of fairness. And our, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the right thing. Like, we listen, but we're like, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say right. things are fair. But it doesn't seem to, like, I don't know if we're not yeah. listening enough or, like, maybe that's her pattern that she's in. And so what's the belief right. behind it? Or I don't know, what do you... Well, I mean, you're, you're working against a culture of uh, fairness. Like, school, right? We have grades. You earn what you get. Um, right. There's a leader in the line, and then we take turns. Like, you're you're already fighting a pattern of we're gonna make this fair. And so something that I've told my kids is, fair is not equal. Fair is what's best for you. Um, because I have four kids. All four have different levels of trauma in their background, right? So all four have very different needs of what they can handle and what they can't. So it would be a 
daily conversation if everything had to be equal. But what we've told them is, look, uh, God has created you this way. And mommy and daddy have been charged with knowing you well. So we know you well enough to know this is what is best for you. You don't have to like it. But we need you to understand that fair is not equal. Fair is what is best for you. And fair is what is best for her. And those two things might be different. But this is where we're asking you to trust. And I, I do have one that's very justice-minded. Um, and that's a hard conversation of, at the end of the day, this is about trusting mommy and daddy. And it will not be fun. You will not always understand. Just like there will be times that you go, God, how can you let this guy get this thing? Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes, I'll, it, depending on who it is, I'll share a little bit of my story with infertility of going, hey, there were times that I looked and said, you're letting that girl get pregnant? What, what's up with that? Like, <coughs> she clearly doesn't know what to do. And here I am, like, pastor's wife, hello, I should have all the babies. And, and just talking about that fairness factor of it felt really embittered to go, God, come on. We can go back to Job where God is super sarcastic. I love that part where he's like, oh, so you were around when the ocean was made? Oh, wait, you weren't. I love that part just because I'm naturally a little bit like that. But I love that God is clear like, wait, your ways are not my ways. Um, and so I say that to my kids, your ways as a seven-year-old are not mommy's ways. And so this is where, bottom line, you're going to have to learn to trust. It won't be easy. And you'll still have justice conversations. So would the, the pattern of belief be like, I don't trust that sometimes, my parents know what's best? Sometimes I think it's a, I don't trust. Sometimes it's a control. Like, I just, I want to understand before I obey. Uh, a lot of older kids, like oldest kids will do this. She's the oldest. Yeah. That's who our justice person is, our oldest. Uh, And and it's hard. It's hard to help them understand. You will not always understand what God does, but you are still asked to obey. Um, And that's something you can just model when they're really little. And model it with you. You know, say those things out loud. Some of those conversations we have in our heads or with community, we don't have them out loud with our kids. Have them out loud. So I will have that conversation of, Baby, I am super frustrated right now with the school. Uh, my kids call it my San Antonio voice. They say I use it in art meetings. <laughs> my husband has laughed because I've used it in art meetings. When I have those struggles of like, why? This is not fair. This is not right. Uh, but Lord, these are your children. And just like I get mad when people mistreat my children, I know you don't like it when mis- people mistreat your children. These are your children. So... I'm going to love these people. Right now, I don't feel like it, and I don't feel like it's fair. But having those conversations out loud helps my kids to see, okay, mommy struggles with this too. This is not just unique to me. 